0: Literally, they're they're in the process of fleeing in chapter 14. When you come to verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi Hairoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. So Pharaoh will see. Uh, say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so, The, the nation of Israel did so. So this encampment, you know, we've seen the movie, read the book, understand how the circumstances unfold, probably, but in this situation, uh, you know, the reason that uh, Pharaoh is reacting this way, in saying, you know, that the wilderness has bewildered them, it's confused them, is because this is the obvious direction to not go. Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna bottle themselves in. They're gonna put themselves in a place of no escape. Uh, There's several things I want you to notice, uh, church, uh, about this. Uh, God chooses Moses and um, sets him up as the leader and sends him out. And there are a lot of things, as a pastor, I examine and learn along the way. One of the things you're going to see in the life of Moses that's, uh, I think, quite remarkable is the way that the Lord makes a decision and then hands it to Moses. Moses then carries it out and it seems illogical. Not only two unbelievers like Pharaoh, but even the believers within the congregation are looking at it like Moses has lost his mind. He's made a bad decision. And it isn't, in this case, you guys, it isn't even the situation where, um, you know... Like, it looks like Moses has made a bad decision, but in a few minutes, we're going to see that there's, you know, a, a passage they're going to be able to take up through the mountains and avoid this problem. There's no natural solution for the circumstance. God is literally boxing them into the place where he has to be the answer. Now, look, I know I'm wearing my heart on my shirt sleeve, I've seen the destruction that comes when people begin to doubt the leadership that God has put in their life. If God has called Moses to do this, and everybody that's experiencing it is looking at it and saying, this guy just made the worst decision we've ever experienced. Okay, look, maybe so. And... and. Maybe there is no way out of it. But what I can tell you is the only thing that's getting exposed here is the rebellious hearts of the people who don't want to submit to God or Moses, the leader that's been given to them. We all know God is going to pull them out of this circumstance. What God is doing is handing Moses an impossible circumstance and saying, carry that out. Moses says, yes, sir, and begins carrying it out. And as he does the whole congregation gets to experience, this guy is an idiot. He's leading us into a situation where we're not going to have any escape. They're not considering God in the situation. Later, God has a lot to say about how these people as a nation grumble against Moses and thereby grumble against God. One of the easiest tricks our enemy can do to the church is convince us as a church that our leadership shouldn't be trusted. And so now we break away from our leadership and find ourselves floundering in really bad places. I don't know how many times I've seen churches split, dissolve, come to nothing, and then the people that are broken and scattered are just that, rest of their lives, broken and scattered. Rest of their lives. Consider you have an enemy, and he wants to capitalize on situations. He does this, in this particular situation, so that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Look, the few moments where the Egyptian army is going to realize that God is God is not what he's talking about. <laughs> as as they drown, it's not like God is going, "Ah, oh, see there, that's the effect I wanted. This is going to go back, obviously. To This nation of the Egyptians and they're going to have to contend with the fact that God has performed all of these powerful plagues and then released the people and then destroyed their army and their leadership. God is extending his power in order that the unbelievers would know he is God's verse five. Now it was told to the king of Egypt. That the people had fled heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people and they said why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us as a big slave working force that they had you know the fact that they're being told they've fled that's just a confirmation right because Pharaoh has told them to leave so it's not as though he doesn't know this is going to take place but now that it's actually happened and the entire nation of Israel has fled. It isn't just a religious group amongst them or a small sect of believers that you know have followed Moses. This is the entire nation, along with a very large mixed multitude of people that have joined Israel and left with them. So once that word comes, the tremendous loss kicks in, ...for the Egyptians and their leadership. They realize we now have little to no labor to do our bidding. So in verse 6, he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. That's his army that he's referring to. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Choice chariots. These are well-trained charioteers. Uh, There's a whole process... Of running in formation and turning uh, upon command, so that you have a wall of, you know, uh, chariots that can run down uh, your enemy. This is a very. This isn't just like a long, you know, group of ragtag charioteers. This this is an organized group of military effort that's going on here, and it's deadly. Uh, you you move these heavy horses with a chariot, and, and usually uh, you had in this day two men aboard a chariot uh, because you had uh, one who was the fighter that had actually handled the weaponry, uh, archery, swords, spears on board, while the other man was the driver of the chariot. Uh, the chariot and the horse itself were a weapon. Uh, they would just run you over, uh, trample you and the whole line of people that were with you. And along with them, you know, the 599 that are following. So this thing showing up in force this way is incredibly intimidating. This is like, you know, a group of people leave unarmed, and who do they send after you? All the tanks. You know what I'm saying? This is is overkill uh, that they're sending out the chariots. The chariots of the Egyptians with the captains over every one of them. So they have the commanders in place in order to have... These chariots run the way that they're supposed to. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. Many times the Lord makes a statement about how he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and we've talked about how God is just demonstrating his strength to the Israeli people. They see the wonders of God, and they're moved with respect and fear. Pharaoh, in rebellion, sees the powerful works of the Lord, and he... Hardens his heart in anger, bitterness, and rebellion. So, this hardening of God's heart isn't, again, that God is purposely making Pharaoh bitter, angry, you know, disrespectful, and rebellious. Pharaoh's doing that himself. God is just being God. In this case, as God is hardening his heart, it's a confirmation. God is more or less communicating with Pharaoh. You know, in his thoughts and mind, basically saying, if that's the direction you want to go, then let's go right ahead and do that. You want to bring out this army against me and my people? Then please do. And uh, we'll contend with one another. God is more, it would be more accurate. It certainly is hardening. Okay, I, I dwell on this quite a bit because there's an imbalanced teaching within Christianity about it, about how God hardens or softens people's hearts. Here, you know basically what's going on is it would be better to say god confirmed pharaoh's heart he he he's backing him up he's encouraging him in his behavior at this point think about what paul is telling us in the new testament about those that rebel against god and how the judgment of the lord is coming right and how he gives them over to a debased mind he he stops contending with them he lets go he lets people go off into their misbehaviors. That's kind of what's going on here, as God is confirming that's the direction you want to go. And then uh you know, I'll go ahead and confirm that for you. So um let's see, uh hardened Pharaoh's heart, king of Egypt, pursued the children of Israel. The children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and the charioteers of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping with a sea, beside Paharoth, therefore Baal, before Baal-Zephon. So exactly where they had expected to find them, that's exactly where they are. And it's a place of complete compromise. At this point, you know they don't have any ability to defend themselves. One of the things the Lord says repeatedly in these circumstances is that <clears throat> he did not want to like launch them into circumstances where they would have to go to war because they aren't a people prepared for war at this point. Uh, Over the 40 years, particularly with Joshua, their military prowess is developed by God. As you're reading about uh, Og and Heshbem, those that come against Israel, you're going to find these little snippets along the way that let us understand that what God is doing Is teaching them war they're gonna end up inside Canaan and they're gonna have to conquer all of their enemies if it's a it's depending on who you listen to it's an 11-day or a 13-day walk through the desert from Egypt to Canaan so as far as you know it being 40 years in the desert there was a whole bunch of spiritual lessons but there's also a whole bunch of physical lessons that have to be learned in the process so these people will be ready and capable of doing battle with the people of Canaan when they arrive there to drive them out. They're they're a slave nation at this point. War, fighting, it's not part of their mentality at all. You know, as exuberant as they might be about their nation and about God, they don't have the skills to handle these circumstances. So here They were in a complete place of compromise with no skills or abilities to defend themselves. When Pharaoh drew near, verse 10, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Stop right there. That's the smartest thing they can do is call out to God. They're going to immediately, you know, In the beginning of verse 11, then speak to their leadership, speak to Moses. But their hearts turning to God is the essential. You can ask advice of friends. You can call me up. You you can call the person up who's discipling or mentoring you or your closest friend and seek advice. If you're not calling out to God, you're missing the whole point. If you never call that other person physically to have a conversation with them, but you pray to the Lord, you're talking to the right person and receiving the right answers. You've got to open your heart and reach out to God. So they cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us? up out of Egypt there you hear that embittered tone and panic and fear will make you do and say things that you regret again my encouragement in the learning process as mature Christians is to understand that God has given us spiritual leadership to follow and at times you know understand this frankly He's going to lead that leadership to do things that will cause our hearts to be exposed for the weakness that's in them. God, we, You know how it is, how blind we are to ourselves? We convince ourselves we're doing wonderful spiritually, and then the test comes, and we fail miserably. And we're, like, we're the only ones stunned in the room, right? God's not surprised. Our spouse isn't surprised. Our closest friends aren't surprised. We're stunned. We can't believe it. How did I fail? Because that's the weakness that we truly were. That was the sum total of our strength. That's what Proverbs tells us. If you, if you faint in the day of adversity, thus is your strength. You know, we don't know ourselves until God has searched our heart and exposed our heart to us. This is what he's doing right here with these people. So you just brought us out here to kill us. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So interesting how we quickly lose sight of what living in bondage was like. We, we remember whatever pleasantries we're there, and we forget the horror. We forget the fear. We forget the difficulty. And we just look back longingly, like these people. And you know, most of us have studied it to, you know, we get further on in the years, and they want to go back to Egypt. And what's their complaint? The menu, right? We had onions and garlic and just bad breath when we were in Egypt. That's all they're thinking about, really. Yes, and you were slaves and being beaten, and killed, and your children were being thrown in the Nile River. But man, that, you know, the onions were just foolish how we approach our bondage when the challenges and the difficulties come. Psalm 84:10 says, "For a day in your courts is better than a thousand i would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my god than dwell in the tents of wickedness right we sing that song better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere we, we so quickly compromise, put the slightest amount of pressure on us and see who we really are moses said to the people do not be afraid and there's the summary right fear obviously don't be afraid Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. There's a whole host of sermons that can be taught just from those few words right there. Stand still. Like, stop fiddling with the thing, you know what I'm saying? Stop meddling. Stop trying to fix and, and figure out. You know, be still and know that I am God. Be still and watch my salvation. Get out of the way. God is like that patient father. As many times as you want to put your hands in the mess, he'll take his hands away and say, okay, go ahead. And he'll let you fool around with the project for as long as you want to. And when you're done and you cry out to him, you take your hands off it, he immediately begins to heal and fix the problem. As many times as you want to slap his hands away and put your hands in the mix, he's content to let you learn that process. It's when we leave it alone. that's very tough to do. So very often we think that somehow it's our accomplishment that's going to save the day. Do not be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. We'll get to the uh point of our responsibility in just a moment which he will accomplish for you today for the egyptians whom you see today you will see again no more forever you're going to be wiped out the lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace the lord said to moses why do you cry to me tell the children of israel to go forward okay two points why do you cry to me go forward why are you praying right now? Get moving. Right there is an attitude amongst those who consider themselves as super spiritual who seem to always want to point out how, you know, we could pray right now, we could this right now, we could over spiritualizing everything. You know, when it's time to swing the hammer, when it's time to do the work, when it's time to get up and move, it's not time to pray. It's, it's time to go through the efforts. It seems spiritual. I understand what you're saying. You know, I've been in and around those circles. I was with a group of musicians many years ago now, and they had a young man working with them in, in their worship team, and uh, he was of this brand. And um, they were following that leadership, you know, his suggestions. They're all young guys. And uh, they, they run into a you know, problem with this song. And, and I could understand it. You know, you've been working on a thing for some time. And, you know, as a drummer and working with musicians, I know you've got to work things out. Uh, he had this attitude and mentality like, okay, okay, let's just stop. We need to pray. Which, okay, you know what? Stop and pray. But it turns into this thing where, I'm not exaggerating, every time there's a false note hit, like he just stops everybody, like we need to pray. Look, life is going to be full of difficulties, challenges, and mistakes, and there comes a point where you just got to slam your, slam your foot down on the accelerator and move forward. And that's where these people are. Everybody's going to the ground, oh, pray, and God, God himself is saying, why are you talking to me? This is not the moment for a prayer meeting. There's a murderous army behind you. It's time to move. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, how you've been around certain people who want to over spiritualize every situation. And what's that about? It's about attracting attention to yourself. It's about saying to everyone else in the room, all of you people are struggling on an earthly level. I, I'm the only one here that had the presence of mind to turn to prayer. Uh, well, wonderful. You know, you probably are the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> Let's all move. How about that? Let's, it's time to get up. So it says, but lift up your rods, and the Lord speaking to Moses, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. So you know how when you have a wooden stick in your hand and you stand in front of water, that if you manage that stick just right, the water's part in half. You know how that happens? Hold your stick up and I'm going to part the waters. It, it, look, here's the point. There are things God is going to ask you to do that are completely outside your ability to do. I'm not talking about part and seas. Your children will drive you insane. And at points, you're going to look at them and think, what am I supposed to do about this? How, how, how do I parent this? What, what what My boss is a complete jerk. Everybody's known it and, and actually signed the affidavit. You know what I'm saying? Wait, this guy stinks. How am I supposed to deal with this guy? God is going to say to you, this is how I want you to walk through that situation. And there's going to be particulars about it and some of it's going to seem silly in the end moses started this whole process as far as seeing things when the burning bush appeared and it's been an incremental process you get to this point and you sort of think of moses as a spiritual giant right certainly the plagues that have come upon the nation of israel have been very convincing to his heart. But God just asked him to do something he's never done before, and he states it in such a way like, you know what I'm talking about. What? You're going to walk into certain situations, you guys, where you need to step out in faith. You need to trust that the Lord is guiding you, that your past experience is showing you how to behave right here in the moment. And that's exactly what Moses is about to do. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the world will know that I am God, the, the greater body of unbelievers. 19. The angel of the Lord, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other, that night. What an amazing thing. The cloud is remarkable on many levels. Uh, 40 years following them through uh, the wilderness and in the process of them being you know, led by this um, uh, pillar of cloud and fire, it shades them, provides them with coolness in that very blistering desert you know, I, the even even the fact that um, you know it, it's it's a dry heat is really dangerous in regard to dehydration and uh, you know just constant exposure to sunlight the, the fact that they were shaded which the scripture records and that at night it gave off warmth and light. So it's like a giant warm streetlight covering the entire nation of Israel at night. They have security and safety. They can see well enough and they're warmed. So, you know, those of us that have been in the desert know that when the sun sets and there's no cloud cover, which is very typical in desert regions, it gets incredibly cold. Uh, it, it'll drop cold from you know 90 degrees right down to 40 and 50 degrees. really cold. Uh, the, the people would have a dramatic problem. instead, God is protecting them. Here, he creates a separation between Egypt and isn't that such a picture? you know For the unbeliever, God in his provision is blinding and a barrier. Something they can't get through. For the believer, it's protection, warmth, provision, safety. God puts himself between the Egyptians and the nation of Israel. And when he does, Egypt uh, experiences blindness and they're incapacitated. Israel, protection, warmth, guidance, light, provision. God's presence is very different based upon the condition of your heart. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. Notice this, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand, And on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now, we're going to discuss a couple of things as we move forward, but I just want to put out there to begin with you're going to run into um, false teachings about how this wasn't actually the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. Which is a marshy, marshy region on, you know, the far side of the Red Sea, and commonly there were, you know, occasions where people would wade through their miles, uh, through, uh, you know, this very shallow region, uh, you know, coming up to perhaps your hips, you know, known as the Reed Sea. And what went on here was God caused this wind to just push a lot of that water back, and it became very shallow, and that's how. The nation of Israel crossed over was in the Reed Sea, not the Red Sea. What a load of hogwash! You know what I'm saying? They just you hear people. They go, you know, if 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 this miracle didn't occur right here, where God split the sea, as he describes, which we know where this took place, and they've actually found the axles and the wheels of the Egyptian army chariots in the Red Sea. So that's another point to discuss, but. Even if this was, it's not, I'm not trying to even move that direction at no. but even if it was God pushing back the water in the Reed Sea so that it was very shallow and they could just walk through in ankle-deep water, what's more amazing is that the entire Egyptian army is about to drown in six inches of water. So what way do you want your miracle? You know what I'm saying? I mean, can you see a horse just like burying its head in the water in order to drown itself? I mean, that, that, okay, now you've got a bigger miracle. All of the Egyptians drowned themselves, and all of their animals drowned themselves. Wow, okay. So verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, caused the Red Sea to go back. As we said, he got walls of water. Verse 24, it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. I think that's an understatement when you read verse 25 and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty yeah it's really hard to drive your chariot with no wheels it's a real drag but anyway no do you get that Casey only one in the room all right so they're taking the lord is taking off their wheels so that they drove them with difficulty the egyptians said let us flee from the face of israel For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now even the unbelievers are becoming aware of what's going on in their midst. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth. While the Egyptians were fleeing into it, So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the armies of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. You know, this this whole thing, this explanation right here, it, it, the, the Hebrew language is so detailed. To try and make this say anything else is just a blatant attempt at lying. When you hear or read of scholars that have found different ways to interpret this, that's impossible. The intent within the original language is intact. And in, in what we're reading right here. Is true to the circumstance. Walls of water. You know, he makes this uh, statement about how the waters congealed. It's a specific description of their firmness. So these walls of water, right? You, you know, you've you've seen jello congeal from liquid state to solid state. The, the water, right, goes from being liquid to congealed on either side of them, the right hand and the left. How do they know it was congealed? Probably a whole bunch of kids tested that, right? You, are you telling me that if you took your children and walked them through the Red Sea and there were walls of water on either side, if you could keep them away from it, if you could, you know, then they're definitely going to be asking a lot of questions. This is the biggest, you know, sea world they've ever been in. All the way around. You know, somebody was just dragging their finger through congealed water like this is messed up. And it stays until God says so. Verse 1, chapter 15, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army have been cast into the sea his chosen captains also are drowned in the red sea you know this summary statement of god's capability and what just transpired the song of moses you know how long did it take to go from the experience to now the song is intact in moses mind perhaps even written out and now relayed to the people and now they're singing it together i'm not trying to you know make anything more of it other than this this is this is a thing you guys where as a nation they're moved to worship what what i mean by that is they've seen this experience they hear this song and their hearts immediately embrace that song and then sing it as a congregation that's our experience that's what we've been through This is what God has done in our lives. I hope that's how we sing each time we're together, that we truly meditate on the words we're saying and that it's a confession of our hearts. 15.5, the depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who have rose against you. You sent forth your wrath, you consumed them like stubble, and with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap, and here it is the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoils. My desire will be. Satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead into the mighty waters. It's a very interesting comparison as God basically holds the Egyptian army out there in all of its glory for us to examine and then basically says, God destroyed them with his breath. I mean if if it's so effortless for God to just blow upon a sea and upon an army and to destroy them, I think that that should take us to many different levels. The concern about the condition of the world around us, you know, God is not now somehow asthmatic right used to just blow on nations and cause them to wither can't do that anymore he's a lot older now D- listen does the church not have this attitude to a certain degree i've had conversations with people who say oh i just wish god was like he was uh, you know in the second chapter of acts so what god rewrote the scripture I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm unchanging. Jesus Christ is unchanging according to Hebrews. God doesn't change. His characteristics, His attributes, His capabilities do not waver, do not fade. James tells us there's no shadow of turning in Him. He's consistent. More consistent than anything you've ever experienced on this world. Right, everything in this world is experiencing deterioration. Entropy is destroying everything. God is unchanged. This is the same God that we served, and that's the comparison he makes. Have Have you had time to be around like real military hardware? Seen tanks like right next to them, looked at them, and thought about their power. You know, have you know? I got an opportunity years ago to an air show stood next to a B-1 prototype bomber, swing-wing aircraft, massive. You know, I've seen pictures of it, had no idea how massive this thing is. So huge, incredible piece of hardware that God could literally vaporize with his breath. So often people get the wrong impression based upon what they can see and touch and feel. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious and holy? Fearful in praise, doing wonders. You stretch out your hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you've redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. God cares for his own. He develops his people. He protects them. God has not forgotten us, even though our circumstances may feel like it. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. and Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. But the greatness of your army, they will be as a stone till your people pass over, or till the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Now there are several things about this whole song, but particularly this section that make it very prophetic. I, I wonder if Moses had any understanding of what he was saying. When he specifically mentions Philistia, Edom, Moab, and how they're going to be filled with fear, right? Remember they, and I'll point that out too. He makes this uh, uh, mention here uh, of how he will cause them to cross over, and uh, he makes the statement twice. You know they're going to cross over. They're going to cross over. They're going to cross over. What? You can cross over the Jordan and enter the land. You know, did did Moses just use that phrase a, a, as a thoughtfulness within the poem? Or, or did he really have some kind of understanding of how they were going to cross over the Jordan River and occupy the land? Did he really understand the fear? You know, he's making this statement. Is, is it just sort of welling up out of his heart, but his mind doesn't fully understand uh, you know, they send the spies in 40 years later, right? Not the 12 spies they're about to initially send in. 40 years later, they send in the two spies, right? Rahab the harlot, she hides them in the house, and then she comes to them in conversation, Joshua chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. She, now before they lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof, the two spies, and said to the men, I know. That the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed." As soon as we heard as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This is forty years later, right? Moses is singing right now how all these nations will fear them. Forty years later, Rahab makes the confession, Forty years ago when you crossed the Red Sea, we were all filled with terror. Our hearts melted and there was no strength left in us. You guys think about what a shame it is that the nation of Israel had to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness, dying so that the next generation might know the Lord in a different way and be ready to obey Him and enter the land. Forty years. There's a military term. Uh, I was not in the military per se. I was a child and part of uh, CAP, Civil Air Patrol, which is a search and rescue branch of the Air Force. So um, I... I, uh, we had to learn to march and do a number of things uh being in a civilian branch of the military but anyway there's an occasion when marching that they refer to as marking time right and they you know they call that you know the cadence i need mean, to in the military you know you do that left left and they're keeping you in time throughout the marching you know and uh you know company left face and everybody turns and you march that way you know and they'll literally just call out and mark time and now you get to just stand and march in place and if your commander's cruel you may stand there for a while marching in place you're not marching anywhere the boots are still hitting the pavement you know sometimes the cadence is even still being called and you're just standing still 40 years 40 years of marking time I pray that if we're doing that in anywhere in our lives, that we would realize it and stop. There needs to be progress. There needs to be forward motion. There needs to be work and accomplishment, maturity and growth in our lives. If we've stalled out and we're marking time, consider the Lord, the Lord here has said, No, I've already given you my victory. I've already conquered these people, their hearts are already melted. They could have walked, right, 11 days across that wilderness, across the Jordan River, and into their enemy territory, and they probably would have been conquered and defeated and surrendered in the same way they do 40 years later. People's hearts are not there. Now, at the end of that statement that Moses has, you know, your hand's, have established, he, verse 18 says, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Not a minor statement. Not a tagline just stuck in there. God is going to reign forever and ever. There's only one God. That's it. There, there aren't a host of gods. There aren't lesser gods. or are not small g gods. There's just one God. And He's going to reign forever. And it doesn't matter how much people dislike that or how many complaints are made against it. God is going to reign, just like He's reigned over this army. We'll close with verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh uh, went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. We're also going to read uh, the next two verses. I said that would be the last. but The statement that Moses makes about the destruction of, of the enemies of Israel. It is it is worthy of you. If if you're not a person that keeps a journal, I would strongly recommend it. Just keep a notebook that even tucked away, you know, you don't have to daily journal. I would strongly encourage you to fill it with the memories of the work of the Lord. He's done things in your life and we forget. We fade from them. We move past them, and we don't concentrate on them, right? And then someone asks us to recount, and we have to dig through our files. And yeah, that's what happened. God took care of me, and as we relay it to them, our heart is lifted. Well, yeah, yeah, God is strong. That's right. God took care of me, and we can walk for days on just a brief memory of God's work. Our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are rebellious. Our hearts are destructive. And we forget. We abandon. There's a need for a reminder. Moses had this written down, recorded for us, that we could agree with these things. Now, not to be outdone, Moses' sister, older sister, Miriam, the prophetess, as the Scripture records, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrel and with dance. Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider have he has thrown into the sea. A last thought, Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. There the psalmist said, why do the nations rage? The people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, uh, and uh, that would mean like in order, And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And then here's the answer. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. God is literally amused by the rebellious behaviors of the human race. Why why would we ever think that somehow we're going to throw off or overthrow God. It's, it's, it's not a, you know, we get nervous about it because, you know, people start changing laws and people start mandating this and that and we get worried and scared about, you know, what freedoms am I going to lose and what kind of, you know, bondage might I experience and persecution might uh, come out of, God's in control. If, if we're going to experience some terrible thing, Along the way, it's not like God is busy over here, you know, sorting out the junk drawer and just forgot all about us. God is is going to take care of us. If bad things happen to us, God is aware of that. His counsel is secure, His behavior is the same. You know, he, He may want us to go through those things, and so there is His allowance. And we're experiencing things that are teaching us things. God is truly in control over the Egyptian army and the world around us. Rest in that assurance and know that he's laughing about the most diabolical plans that the men of this earth have put together. He holds it in derision. He's unconcerned about it. They will also, right, what does the scripture tell us? They will someday be consumed with the breath of his mouth. God is unchanged and he will contend with those who contend with him so we're on the lord's side let the lord's provision and plan protect you and provide for you let's stand and we'll pray we'll pick up at verse 22 next week father i thank you uh, for your love and your graciousness you're so kind and forgiving lord I pray that you would help us to be men and women that followed you loved you submitted to you lord we need Your touch, your handiwork in our lives, your provision, Lord. We need you to strike down the things that are currently enslaving us, currently uh, causing us, harassing us, uh, causing us to stumble. Please, Lord, show your strength. Help us to be men and women that rely upon you. Share that message with the world. Sing it to the world around us about your glory, your power, and your provision.